to GEC Important Talks. This is a podcast series presented by Global Education Connection, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing children who are affected by conflict or natural disasters with resources like educational materials and art supplies. As part of this podcast, we want to talk about important topics related to children, their human rights, and their education. Of course, none of us are an expert on these topics. We speak only to our knowledge, our personal experiences, and our perspectives. But there are many credible online sources for further information. Today we have myself, Catherine Slaughterback, and Carter Beck as your hosts. We also have a special guest on today, Ellie Armstrong. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about uh, the Kids Online Safety Act, and I think from that we're also going to branch off into kids' use of social media in general. Ellie, thank you for being on today. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about yourself and your background with social media? Because I think in this conversation you're going to be one of our um, material experts on social media usage. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Ellie Armstrong. As um, he said, um, I'm a sophomore at Vanderbilt University currently studying political science and public policy. Um, I've worked quite a bit in the social media space, um, working for a variety of different social media managers or working on marketing teams for particular nonprofits and stuff like that. And I've recently come on as GEC's um, social media intern, particularly for their Instagram. Um, so I've worked a lot in this space, um, and I feel like, you know, especially as it becomes more and more influential, especially within youth lives, it's really important to consider what policy interventions um, we take um, as a society. So I think this is going to be a super fun conversation, and I really appreciate being on here with y'all. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for being on, and I think this will be a good conversation. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a great conversation. Um, so first up, I feel like we should talk a little bit about what the Kids Online Safety uh, Act actually is. So for those of you who don't know, this is a bill that has been put forth in the Senate. Um, this is actually the third time it's been put forth. Um, the first two times failed. Um, but essentially, it's a bill that will require social media platforms to provide minors with options to protect their information, disable addictive product features, and opt out of algorithmic recommendations. Um, it also goes into requirements on things that should be limited for minors to see. Um, so the bill also works to limit uh, minors' access to posts on social media about things like suicide, drug use, or sexual exploitation. Um, so, this is a bipartisan bill. Um, both Democrats and Republicans have put it forward and signed on as co-sponsors. So, this isn't just one political party putting this forward. It's kind of uh, not entirely universal because not all the senators are on board yet. And it also, uh, there isn't something similar to it in the House just yet. But it has been put forward by both political parties and is something that both sides are working to address, especially given that President Biden has explicitly stated that kids' online safety is something that he considers very important to him. Yeah, I think so, it's I think it's um, important to say that like kids' online safety is is very much a bipartisan issue. I don't think anyone can say that it's not an issue. Um, so at that point, it's only that our two-party system, both Republicans and Democrats, want to be able to help address in the most efficient, efficient and the safest way for, for minors. Um, so at that, it's really just about um, policy and implementation. That's really come to question at this point, for COSA at least. 
Absolutely. Um, so I feel like we should talk briefly about um, the concerns that this bill raises because, like I said, um, this has been put forward twice before and has failed both times. Um, something that is a concern for um, activists and like human rights organizations, including the ACLU. The ACLU has stated multiple times they are against this bill. Um, is concerned that it would violate uh, things like the First Amendment or it would work to censor kids' access to things like LGBTQ plus resources or mental health resources. So what do you both think about that? Catherine, I think you might be um, referring to an article published on CNBC um, from May 2nd. I have it up right now, uh, written by Lauren Feiner. Um, I see that the ACLU, um, I'm going to quote from the article right now, the ACLU remains strongly opposed to COSA because it would ironically expose the very children it seeks to protect to increased harm and increased surveillance. And that's according to the ACLU Senior Policy Council, Cody um, Vensky. So um, I think that might be one of the articles that you were referring to. And I just think that's very interesting that we have that kind of um, disagreement from a bipartisan bill that came across as almost being voted uh, through unanimously. Yeah, definitely. Ellie, what are your thoughts on it? Um, honestly, I don't like know super hardcore about um, public reactions to the bill specifically, specifically and especially in terms of like concerns as to like um, constitutional infringements and things such as that. Um, I do think it's important to think about regardless of what type of media we're talking about, whether that be social media or other forms of media like television or newspapers or whatever else. Um, when you're thinking about, you know, content and stuff, I think like saying, oh, you know, everything needs to be absolutely free reign all the time or something like that. It's just like there, the fact is there are, there's content that exists on these platforms that children shouldn't be interacting with. And I mean, we already have plenty of limitations in place, even if they don't work the best, like, oh, are you 18? Um, and so I think elaborating on those is something you know, it already exists, and so I don't think there's going to be any more infringement than is already occurring, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, anyone who spent two minutes on TikTok or Facebook knows how you have to censor things in order for it to not get removed from the platforms. But I, I think the concern is mostly in that this still gives, from, from my knowledge of it, it would give power to like state attorney generals on what they think should be limited for ch uh, children to see. So a concern with that is in more conservative states that the attorney generals would limit, like I said, children's access to things like LGBTQ plus resources. Um, another facet of this bill is that it would also give um, like more access to like a child's social media to their parents um, so that they would be able to control more of stuff like that. But in that case, I, I think it also presents a danger for like I was saying, LGBTQ plus minors who might not feel comfortable coming out to their parents, who might not be safe to come out to their parents, who now have to be very careful with what they're saying to their friends who may be the only people they can talk to about this or what they're looking up online to understand that, hey, being gay is okay, even if they don't necessarily live in a household where that's true for them. And again, like it's, it's not just for LGBTQ plus kids. There are plenty of children whose home lives are abusive who may 
use the internet as a way to you know speak to their friends to reach out to domestic violence resource centers who may then lose that accessibility because their parents have more access to their social media mm -hmm. yeah i 100% agree with what you're saying and i think that kind of raises an interesting thing and something that i think i have an issue with the bill is that i think it's approaching um this issue kind of from the wrong lens because it's saying oh here's all this safe stuff that it or unsafe stuff that exists on social media that we need to protect kids from it so we're just gonna not let the minor see it but it's still going to exist there um and so yeah i think it kind of allows a lot more policing for things that aren't necessarily like bad like lgbtq content and stuff like that i think it's i definitely agree that it's a lot more corruptible than it would be to oh let's introduce a bill that cracks down on things like um like for instance, um, Twitter specifically has a huge issue with um, big communities that promote self-harm and eating disorders really, really heavily. And it's very, very poorly um, like moderated and stuff like that. It's like, it's so common and it's so like intense. And you know, a bill like this um, isn't going to do anything about that, but it is nonetheless probably gonna reach minors anyway. And it's reaching a lot of other people too that aren't minors, but still maybe at that at a younger age in which they're seeing this and being exposed to material that they shouldn't be or that anybody really should be. Um, so yeah, I think it just kind of, that raises the idea that, you know, are we addressing this in the correct way? But on like the nature of like eating disorders and self-harm, things like that, obviously content that is advocating for things like that is dangerous and should be removed, but I don't necessarily think we should limit that kind of discussion online, um, especially when talking like people are sharing experiences, that's a great way to understand that you're not alone, that just because you feel this way, it doesn't mean that other people don't too. Not saying it's good, obviously, <laughs> but that it can necessarily help build a sense of community and a sense of understanding. And from that, it could be a great way to share resources on how to combat eating disorders or self-harm um, or depression, or a great way to you know advocate for more mental health resources by sharing those stories, by sharing those experiences. So I think you also have to walk the very fine line of what is promoting these topics and then what is just speaking to something that is very real and very human that needs to be addressed. Also, uh, looking at like the the, the scope um, for how many kids this does impact, I pulled some information from Pew Research, um, published August 10th, 2022. For the 2022 um, survey, 95% of, of teens reported the use of YouTube, followed with 67% for TikTok, 62% for Instagram, 59% for Snapchat. So with YouTube, that's Google, uh, TikTok, Instagram, that's going to be um, Meta. The majority of, of teens in the United States are using uh, these social media platforms. So the, the reach that these social media companies have on an influence for teens, it, it's affecting millions of, of, of teenagers at this point. So that, that kind of explains the scope for, for what this bill um, has the impact, <coughs> has, I guess, the, the scope of the impact for this bill. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
I've been on social media since like before I can remember at this point. Like especially like growing up in such a small town that I did, that was like one of the few ways that I could communicate with other people uh, or you know share things about my life. So it like of course it comes with its dangers, but I also feel like the bill is kind of ignoring some of the plus sides of the social media. Um, Catherine, last week we talked about last week we talked about like one of the benefits was being able to to communicate with our um, elected representatives. Their their influence and their their communication on social media is a fantastic way for us to be able to see what they're doing, what their thoughts are, and for also us, us to be able to reach out to them. So that's one of the really big benefits of social media, and so that's something that should be should be protected is our ability to be able to to speak freely with our elected officials. Um, but also we have to realize that there are dangers on social media where, where people are putting content that is not appropriate for kids. And so Ellie, that speaks to what you said, where this bill might not really be addressing the, the root cause. It's more of just blindfolding, blindfolding people that shouldn't be seeing the content that's on there rather than addressing how the content is on, is on these platforms to begin with. Yeah, it's kind of, it's going after the autonomy to seek mm -hmm. out that information rather than addressing the information existing in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like putting a band-aid over a bullet wound. It's not actually addressing the problem. It's just trying to say, we're trying to protect kids because we know this is an issue, but we're not actually doing it, I think, the substantive way that it needs to be done. And another issue that comes with this is, of course, how do you verify that these people are actually minors or actually adults? I know, not myself, obviously, because I would never out myself for doing this on a podcast, um, but there are plenty of ways to lie about your age on the internet. It is very easy for minors to get into adult-only spaces. So how do you prevent them from doing that? Do we all now have to suddenly give, like, a photocopy of our ID or our birth certificate to social media companies? Because then I think that's a huge violation of privacy. And, like, given how much social media companies are already taking our data and selling it to other, you know, companies or other platforms, I think that prevents presents, sorry, a, like, incredible danger to privacy as we know it, especially online. Yeah, no, um, I definitely think that is, like, by far, like, the weakest point of the bill is, like, I think I wrote down on section nine, and if this is, this is if that's the incorrect section, let me know, um, but they talk about, oh, okay, how are we going to verify this? And basically they say, um, you know, a handful of these governmental organizations are essentially going to study it. They like it isn't something that they've looked into. It's something that they're going to look into, um, and so I mean, but like the verification part, like identifying who is or is not a minor, is like the very foundation of like what this bill is trying to do. And I so I 100% agree, Catherine, that like they don't quite have this complexity like figure out at all. And I don't think I do appreciate like the discussion and the existence of the bill but yes like it's very clearly not quite thought out all the way and not quite solidified um yeah. Well, if you do look at like a registration process where you might have to put it put in information based off of like a driver's license or an ID, that might pose a, a separate issue where people who are illegal immigrants might not have access to social media where, I mean, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't have access um, and that, that really limits their ability and their access to 
you couldn't say First Amendment rights with social media. And and so being able to, I can see it. I can see an instance where uh, if you have a particular state where the attorney general wants to um, potentially potentially um, maybe nefarious nefariously use the the data and prosecute people that um, because their data is registered with these social media companies. Yeah, I, I think that that like you said, Catherine, presents a very serious danger to people in, in fear of the attorney generals. Definitely. So, not only like illegal immigrants who might not have access to documents, but what about people who have been human trafficked? What about people who have experienced some form of like identity abuse? Because that's a thing. Like, like people who aren't able to access their documents because their parents either didn't file it or don't give them access to it. How are they then going to be able to access the internet? So I, I think it prevent, presents such a huge issue that I don't think a lot of people are necessarily talking about in regards to that, because it, it goes beyond just me showing them my ID to be able to access this, but with plenty of people who should be able to access it, but who would no longer be able to because they don't have access to these documents. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think I have to agree with the ACLU position on this, where I think there, it, it, I can easily see a point where this this bill does the exact opposite of what it's intending to do um, in the protection of, of, of minors. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that wasn't the, the original intent of the bipartisan bill, um, but it's just the, the ambiguity of the bill presents these cases from, uh, for, for, it presents these cases from becoming a reality where the unintended consequences can become reality. Absolutely. I, I don't think the senators are necessarily trying to be nefarious with this. I don't think they're trying to... I, I think they're trying to address an issue. I, I don't think they've gone about it in the right way or are necessarily thinking about it in the way that should be done. Also, it's strange that it got um, a, like a, like basically a, a full like unanimous approval. So the senators just not fully understanding the bill, or maybe just hadn't hadn't sought out enough um, analysis from uh, different 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 points of view, where they could have seen where maybe this bill wasn't written pr uh, properly. It just it, it seems really strange to me that it, it was unanimous. Um, I think something that may kind of like I guess contribute to such widespread approval of the bill would be just like. I think at this point in our society, like it's like very obvious that there's an issue with like unsafe content being um, like accessible to minors. And so I feel like it is indeed like a nonpartisan issue that most people would agree is something to acknowledge. And I think it's just, okay, here's a solution that exists. And a lot of these people that are in these positions of power don't have the perspective of growing up using social media. They aren't growing up using it as like, like kind of like we said earlier, like it's a big mode of um, communication with friends, of support online, of this or that. Um, they just haven't um, relied on it in the same way that kids today do. And so I think it, they just don't see a lot of these issues that we can see a lot easier, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I, I think that kind of also speaks to like the average age of the US of a US senator is 64. Like these aren't people who 
necessarily use social media the way that Gen Z and Millennials do, who haven't, um, like you, like you were saying, experienced it the way we do. Like, we, yeah, they all have a social media office that's run by their marketing team or like their their social media management team. They're not the ones actually using social media itself. So I, I think it also comes down to like a kind of ignorance on their part. Um, because they, they don't know the realities of social media, they just see whatever the media presents it as, or whatever the other senators around them are saying it is. So I, I think it also speaks to the generational divides as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think there was only one part within the actual bill itself that I think they really like actually did kind of see it a little bit more objectively, or at least however it was written. In section 12, it talks about um, a kid's online safety council being established sometime after the bill is like, uh, assumedly like passed. Um, and they mentioned like, oh, it's created by the Secretary of Commerce, but they were saying, you know, it's your typical experts, doctors are in it, but they also mentioned we want representatives from every single, you know, large social media site. We want parents, we want youth all to be included onto this council. And the council is specifically for like identifying um, risks to minors online and creating measures to stop those. Um, but yeah, that was the only part of the bill that I was like, wow, you know, they're really genuinely considering, you know, sources that, you know, I feel like will it, this will be impacted by the bill most significantly. That is, that is a that is a good addition to the bill. Um, so hopefully there can be another revision of COSA where maybe they, they incorporate that into the revision. Um, but I, I think at the point where the the bill relies on the, the enforcement to be at the discretion of um, different state attorney generals, I think that's very that, I think that's very troublesome because state attorney generals can change every couple of years with different administrations. And so at that point, you could be flip-flopping between um, attorney generals that have a priority on on one on one aspect compared to another. And so that that itself also creates ambiguity and confusion in how how and when the bill is going to be enforced. Plus, then you have 50 different people saying how they want this bill to be applied within their state. And how does that like how does that work if a minor were to leave their state and then go to another state for like vacation or something? Would they suddenly have so much different access to the internet because they're in a whole totally different place? Um, and like how how would that work if these attorney generals are able to censor some things? Like would they then start to try to extend that power to silencing political opponents as something as they're discussing things that aren't appropriate for children? Like where do you draw the line between what is actually okay for these attorney generals to censor and what isn't. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't like the, that, that gray area that exists because that leaving, leaving those, leaving that kind of enforcement power um, open to interpretation uh, creates opportunities for abuse. And, and that is something that people need to be aware of and actively um, be voicing their opinions, hopefully against that. Yeah, and I definitely think, as like we've seen in various states, like the Don't Say Gay Bill in Florida, as more censorship is being done in schools, I think the internet is being used more as a tool for kids to be able to access like information about things that they would have previously had access to information to in schools. It's like if they're going to censor things about 
mental health uh, or like LGBTQ plus issues, when does that then expand into things like, I don't know, periods? Like are, are teen girls not going to be able to access information about like their own reproductive health online? Um, or like sex education? Like there are plenty of states rely on an abstinence only policy that isn't feasibly realistic for like teenagers i hate to break it to you it's it's not realistic so the internet is again maybe not the most accurate source of information for stuff like that but it is a source of information that they can use uh, so i i think it then spreads into other dangers as well that people aren't just quite realizing because if they can if they can censor one thing Who's to say that they're not going to just say that they can't censor another? Yeah, because it, leave, it leaves it open to the interpretation of the attorney generals and how and what they want to enforce. Yeah. Wow. So hopefully the uh, the hopefully that bill is doesn't go through because although, so Ellie, you said that it's it's a step in the right direction and it addresses a concern that we all have, but I. I I think that the senators, like Catherine said, need to incorporate some some of the the voices and the people that more actively use these social media platforms, so that way they fully understand the the implications of what could be. Yeah, absolutely. No, I one hundred percent agree with you. And I think when they put in, you know, that section twelve, that oh hey, we're going to include, you know, all of these relevant people in. Um, this Kids Online Safety Council, um, there it's almost like asking, this is kind of, a, I guess, an intense way to say it, but asking for um, forgiveness, not permission, um, because they're saying, okay, we're going to make, we're going to outline the rules, and then, like, later we're going to have these voices come in, instead of being like, hey, let's have these people come in preemptively before we put down these hardcore foundations. So, yeah, I think it's just... Um, yeah, I agree with what Catherine said earlier. It's just ignorance. They're not really seeing it for what it is. And they're saying, because obviously they do see these voices to some degree, but they're not considering the fact that these voices need to come in a lot earlier in the conversation. But also, I also do understand the, the sense of urgency where something needs to be done basically yesterday. Like something should have been done years ago to address um, the abuses of what has been able to be published on these social media platforms like we have we we've seen instances wasn't the um there was a mass shooting that occurred i think in, in new zealand a couple years ago where didn't the shooter like live stream their um the, the shooting on one of the social media platforms but like issues like that where where you have harm that is clearly being published on these social media platforms like that should not in any way have ever been able to to occur and at that point social media companies need to be held responsible for that just like if you get into an accident uh, while you're driving a vehicle and it was because of a mechanical failure that is at the point where the automaker needs to be held reliable because that was their responsibility to ensure that the vehicle was safe to be able to be driven so I think at the same point, social media companies need to be held liable for the content that is published on their, on their end. And I know that's a big responsibility and that's a big ask, but at the point where they reach 95% of, of teens, at the point where they reach 67% for TikTok, if they have that level of reach, they need to also be accountable for the, their, that level of influence. Yeah, I think that's like a super, super great metaphor, um, like to call it... Um, by. Um, because I think, and logistically, I think it would just be so much easier for to mandate 
um, you know, hey, like let a much stricter, um, like not, not necessarily algorithm, but a much stricter process of reporting um, bad content so that the content doesn't exist again, instead of just censoring it for kids. Um, but yeah, I 100% agree. I think, again, just another one of the issues is government overreach. Like, if they're saying what you can and can't post, is that a violation of the First Amendment? Are they taking away your right to free speech? So I, I think even if this gets passed by the Senate, it could actually see legal challenges based on that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like you said, it's it's at the point where it's only in the Senate. It still has to go through the House, then it then has to be approved by the Senate again, then has to be with our, our legal process, then it has to be approved by the president and then through the Supreme Court again. So it's got several hurdles to go. Um, and hopefully, hopefully more people will be able to 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 raise their concerns regarding some of the, the safeties and protections that the bill um, doesn't protect. So hopefully in the next couple of steps, there'll be some, some meaningful changes. But like I said, I hope, I hope it happens soon because there, there are active, active harms that are going on. I don't think anyone's negating the fact that social media has its vices and virtues, especially towards children. I just, mm-hmm. again, I, I don't think this bill is the right way to go about it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So I, like I said, I agree with the, the statement from the ACLU where I, I don't agree with it because of the unintended qu- consequences that it, it presents. Yeah. Oh. Awesome. Uh, Ellie, was there anything else from your research uh, that you saw regarding COSA that you wanted to bring up? Um, I'm trying to think. Um, I'm going through my notes super quick. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of it we kind of already went over during this. Um, I think it's just like, again, the idea is there, this is something we need to address, but going about it and addressing all the complexities and nuances that exist is something this bill obviously didn't really do. Um, and it skips over a lot of like very basic foundational things you would think would be necessitated in a bill like this. Like um, even, you know, there was a part of the bill that talked about, oh, you know, we want parents to be notified if their child, you know, signs up for this or goes through X, Y, or Z process. And the like, the process for which that parental notification would occur was just quote unquote reasonable steps for like parental confirmation. Like it's just very, very key things just completely glossed over. Yeah. Just kind of, again, inherently indicate that there's just, there's disconnect in terms of, you know, thinking about social media versus how it actually works in practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keith, uh, was it, uh, what was the, what was the term? Reasonable steps? Reasonable steps. Yeah. Reasonable <laughs> steps is, is not an adequate, um, way to inform the, uh, guardian or parent, uh, whoever is responsible for the minor at, at that point. So it's just, if, uh, I, there's a, if I use the phrase reasonable steps in model UN, I, they would have, no, absolutely not. They would have been go back and rewrite this right now. <laughs> What do you yeah, mean by or, reasonable steps? Yeah, or, or, or if you use that in a conversation where like, yeah, I will take reasonable steps to, uh, to, to address this. Like, like, come on, I, I need more, I need more concrete, concrete, um, inf- information rather than just my subjective opinion as to what is a reasonable step. Yeah, exactly. It leaves it up for so much interpretation, which I'm not going to lie is probably intentional on their part. 
Mm-hmm. Like, they don't want to get in and micromanage it, so they're trying yeah. to leave it up to either the states or social media companies. But then again, that, that presents such a big danger for what they will interpret these reasonable steps as. But I also think another danger that comes with this is that if social media companies are looking at all of these lists of things that they now have to do to quote-unquote protect minors online, what's to stop them from just banning minors from using their platforms and then completely stripping them away of the ability to use social media? Well, I, I think that the, the sheer number of, of users is what's going what's gonna to deter them from making that drastic step. I mean, like I said, 95% of kids use YouTube, 95, um, 67% use TikTok. So that's, that's a very large number. I mean, we're talking millions. And so that's millions yeah. of users where you, you don't want to ban millions of, of users um, from your, your platforms because, I mean, from a business point of view, I can see where that would really hurt their business, uh, like core business for, for uh, like advertisers wouldn't be able to advertise to, um, to that demographic. And, and so that's, that's less revenue for the, the company. But I could see them doing it if it became a big enough of a legal liability. Or if it costs more money to implement these changes and like maintain those changes than just stopping minors from using the platforms altogether. Or like raising the age from like 13 to 16 so, like, to even again limit the number of people that they have to manage this for. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like like I can see like both of y'all's like, like the realities of what both of y'all are saying. Um, like, from my perspective, I think, like, just, like, if I were to, like, hypothetically assume, like, in a world where this would happen, I feel like kind of both of those would be the case, because it's true that, you know, these are, like, giant, like, majorities of their target demographic. I don't think they would want to lose those, but at the same time, like, if something is, like, explicitly and concretely illegal, they're going to do the best they can to, you know, avoid any issues with that, and so I think Honestly, it like assumingly if it were to happen, I think it would just be kind of like barely enforced or enforced to a certain threshold, if that makes sense. Because I mean, like, for example, their reporting system now, you know, you can report nudity or self-harm or violence or anything like that. But, you know, how often does that reporting system actually work? It doesn't work very well, like at all. Um, and I mean, they did mention like a reporting mechanism in the bill specifically like, oh, if any harms happen, you know, there, these platforms need to create a process, again, very vague, a process that exists to report these harms. But again, reporting now doesn't really work. So why would reporting work in the future? So I definitely, I think, personally, I think it would kind of be a mixture of both of those, of we still want these kids to be here, but we still want to cater to, you know, what the law says. So it would just kind of combine into nobody's really being helped here. Yeah, yeah and I absolutely. Think especially with platforms like TikTok or YouTube or even like Instagram that get millions of posts every single day, it gets so much harder to filter and manage that stuff that like if, if like the platforms would be stuck between like a rock and a hard place they, yeah. they have to pick the lesser of two evils so like it, it's, it's hard enough for them now to censor what is being posted on their platforms which is why this content slips through the cracks because like like, like ellie said like they have mechanisms to report these things they clearly don't want them on their platforms but it's just 
there are so many people using them, there's so much getting posted every day that it's it's incredibly hard to actually filter and source it. That's why a lot of them rely on algorithms, uh, which of course also have their vices and virtues, but it's it's a way to try and help manage that, even if it doesn't always work. Yeah, and I so I, I agree and I agree with what with what you're saying that it's a it's a huge responsibility because of the the sheer like the sheer volume of posts, but at the same time like because of the sheer volume of posts, that number also transfers to the their their margins or transfers to their revenue it transfers to their profit so at the point where there's an increase um where these companies are making billions of dollars in profit they need to and they have the responsibility to also invest into better um better algorithms and better monitoring processes uh to to safeguard their users and i i think that i think that is their responsibility absolutely like I was, I was trying, I was trying to look up some information real quick. Um, like YouTube, um, in 2022, YouTube generated 29.2 billion dollars in revenue. Um, so I mean, of course, that doesn't take into account um, cost uh, associated with running the platform, but also a cost associated with running the platform is going to be their uh, content moderation and their 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 policies, whether it's going to be uh, actual. Um, actual like human moderators or it's going to be the algorithms that are going to be filtering out what is harmful and not so maybe there there needs to be a a larger investment into um hiring more physical like um human moderators because of the 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 millions of posts that are seen so at the point where you're making 29 billion dollars in revenue there needs to be also an increase in the amount of amount invested um for for moderation that's really, really interesting. Um, specifically, I guess since you like brought that up, Carter, do you think like, um, so kind of like you said, you know, as you get larger in your influence, you should also like have that ratio go up in terms of how much you spend on content moderation. In the bill, um, it talks about, there's a section specifically for um, like content platforms over a specific amount of users. Mm-hmm. So if you have, I forget what the exact amount was, it was a lot. Um, but it was like, oh, if you're if this platform is above this amount of users, there's some specific things you also have to do for us. Um, so do you think that would be a functional or a plausible um, like route to go in terms of policy? Like particularly like, hey, once you reach a certain threshold, we want you to allocate more resources to your content moderation or hold higher standards. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think there's a like a, there's a direct correlation between the the number of users and the reported uh, profit and the reported revenue. So, I mean, I mean, that makes logical sense. The more users that are on your your platform, if you have a solid business structure, then you're going to be generating more revenue. Um, the more people that shop at your business, the more money you make. Um, you build that into into your margins. So I think that businesses that have let's say millions of users are going to be making millions of dollars in, in revenue or if it, it's, it, there's a, there's a direct, there's a direct strong positive correlation with the amount of users and their revenue. So at that point, I think at the point where they have more users, significantly more users than let's say a smaller platform, they have responsibility because they have that num- that amount of influence mm-hmm. or that amount of reach. 
And so I'm and not saying that it's, it's a bad thing. I mean, we've seen fantastic things with social media, Catherine, like you said, with being able to access communities, be able to talk to people, to learn things where maybe you can't learn in school or you haven't been able to learn in school. I mean, I've used social media to learn things for school. So, I mean, it's just part of part of being a, being a student and being a, wanting to be informed. And so with that, social media has, has great benefits, but the point where 95% of teens use YouTube, that's a lot of users. And these companies have, have the responsibility to, to protect them. So I think before we wrap it up today, uh, a really important uh, final note that I wanted to make is that, of course, all of this is just our, our opinions, our perspectives on, these, on this issue, this bill. Um, and of course, you all as listeners have your own individual opinions and powers to make change. Uh, we are all, you know, citizens uh, that have the ability to contact our representatives, as we spoke about uh, earlier in this episode and in last week's episode. Um, social media is a great way to contact your representatives, to speak to them about this bill, to express your opinions to them. You are their constituents. They will listen. They, they, you have the power to get them to listen to you, because um, you can vote them out if they don't. <laughs> so. Whether, that, whether you contact them by social media, by email, by phone call, by sending a letter, uh, all of that are, all of those are really great ways to express your opinions to their congressmen and get them to uh, maybe think about COSA a little bit differently. So um, again, it's super important and we encourage you all to do that. Now, if Carter wanted to speak to us briefly about our coloring book. Yeah, of course. So if you like the content that we produce, if you like this podcast, if you like the, the mission that we have for our nonprofit, which is providing educational material and art supplies to kids around the world, like in Ukraine, like in Turkey, that have been affected by conflict or natural disaster, please go onto our Amazon page. You can purchase this coloring book. This is a great coloring book that we provide to these kids. It has great pictures. It has great facts. Um, and it's just a great creative outlet for kids to be able to utilize to to if they're in a particular situation they can use this as a creative outlet to continue to learn and to draw or here where it's a great learning resource for kids so if you like what we do please support us by purchasing this coloring book either for yourself or for kids you may know it's a great resource for them thank you for your support we really appreciate it it allows us to continue to produce this podcast and to continue our work so thank you so much Awesome. Thank you, Carter. Well, thank you all so much for listening today. This has been GEC Important Talks, hosted by the team at Global Education Connection. You can find us at our website, www.globaleducationconnection.org, where you can uh, learn more about what we do, who we are, and how you can help support us. You can also find us on all of our social media platforms. So again, I just wanted to also thank Ellie for coming on today. It was really great having you on with us, and we hope to have you back in the future. Your input was very valued and so important, so thank you. Yes, yeah. thank you, Ellie. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank y'all so much for having me. It was super, super fun. I love talking with y'all. Awesome. awesome. Well, we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye.